Lily Flag Signal Episode 5, the obligatory space race episode. I used to want to be an astronaut. I was determined to be the first woman on the moon. And when I say I was NASA obsessed, I mean it. I've got a prototype space helmet and other various and somewhat rare collectibles on display in my house. Cough, cough, check out the show's Instagram page. And I've got so, so many books on spaceflight history. However, despite all my previous enthusiasm for space, I wasn't planning on doing an episode about the space race in Huntsville because, and get ready to laugh at me here, I think of it as too recent. Has it been over 50 years since the first moon landing? Yes. Does that seem like a long time to me, considering how far back in time some of the other episodes have taken us? Not really, no. The 1960s feel very recent in comparison. However, this is a Huntsville history podcast, and Huntsville is in fact the rocket city, so I'm like contractually obligated to talk about the space race and its lasting effects. With that said, I'm not here to talk about the rocket scientists who moved here as part of the effort to get Americans to the moon. That is well covered in history books around the world, and honestly, it isn't usually Huntsville-specific. And I'm here to talk about Huntsville. I had a professor who used to say nothing happens in a vacuum, meaning that no historical occurrence happened without influence by or to other happenings at the time. It was reminded us students to look at the context of an event and not just the event itself, and that's what I'm hoping to do with this episode. So what's the Arsenal's backstory? How did Huntsvillians feel about the sudden boom of growth the town experienced, and how does it parallel with what we're seeing nowadays? What was up with Space City USA, the failed Huntsville theme park designed to rival Disneyland? Oh, and I have some fun facts about the interstate system, which I swear are relevant. So um, let's blast off into that or whatever. Flag Signal, a Huntsville, Alabama history podcast, where the hosts think space race events of the 1960s are too recent to be featured, but we're going to talk about them anyway because, of course, we are. It's the Rocket City, after all. So, the space race, if you don't know, went something like this. In 1957, the Soviets got a satellite up and transmitting before the U.S. did. The Soviets got a man in space before the U.S. did. The Soviets got a man to orbit the Earth before the U.S. did. The Soviets got a woman in space like two decades before the U.S. did. The Soviets performed a spacewalk before the U.S. did. But walking on the moon? We did that one first, in 1969. And again and again, with a total of six missions and 12 astronauts touching down on the moon. And no human has ever been back. Yet. They're working on it. But that's all international news and history, and this is a Huntsville, Alabama podcast. Obviously, a great deal of the space program's success then and now is due to the work of engineers in Huntsville, but how did it impact us as a city? As a hint, there's a totally revamped arsenal, neighborhoods which are now our newest historic districts, and an attempt at an incredibly ambitious theme park right here in Madison County. Also, to address something I don't see mentioned very often, I'm checking out what Huntsvillians in the 50s and 60s thought of the rapid changes taking place in their once quiet city. Spoiler, most of their complaints and comments had to do with traffic. If you've been around town for any appreciable amount of time, you've probably heard about the Redstone Arsenal and more likely than not heard the booms from Redstone Arsenal. Nowadays, it's home to a lot of things. Army Materiel Command, Space and Missile Defense Command, lots of FBI employees, Marshall Space Flight Center, and so many other offices usually referred to by acronyms. Something I didn't know about the arsenal until I was doing research for the show was the sheer number of archaeological sites out there. According to a publication on the Redstone Arsenal website in 2011, there are over 920 archaeological sites on the arsenal, and more than 400 of these contain artifacts from before the area was colonized. There's even a specific type of sharp projectile named the Redstone Point because it was found on Redstone Arsenal, and there are quite a few academic publications regarding how it was created and how to identify it. A lot of these archaeological sites appear to have been created by accident, especially in the earlier days of the installation. 
Whenever the army tore down old buildings, such as sharecropper houses, in order to build out the arsenal, if they found any artifacts, that made the area classified as an archaeological site, according to the Alabama Historic Preservation Office. So, like, these were accidents, not the army suddenly being very invested in history. Prior to the race to the moon, Redstone Arsenal was in quite the lull. The site was chosen by the War Department, back when that was a thing, to be the site of the chemical munitions manufacturing and storage plant. That was announced in July of 1941, before the U.S. officially declared participation in World War II. Apparently it was such a huge deal that the Huntsville Times not only ran two editions that day to spread the word about the new arsenal, but they also apparently delivered the extra edition using Huntsville Fire Department trucks. Originally called Huntsville Arsenal, the area was used for manufacturing colored smoke munitions, along with tear gas, mustard gas, and gel-type incendiaries. Over the course of World War II, the total value of munitions produced on the arsenal was over $134 million in 1940s money. The uses for the area expanded to include a chemical storage depot, a shell loading and assembly plant, and a prisoner of war camp. At one point, different parts were referred to as Huntsville Arsenal and Redstone Arsenal. After the war, though, the arsenal seemed to have outlived its usefulness. It went from a bustling 200,000 employees down to standby status in 1947. At one point in early 1949, the Army was considering selling the arsenal, but that all changed in October of that year when the Secretary of the Army approved moving the rocket scientist team associated with Fort Bliss, Texas's Ordnance Research and Development Division sub-office rockets to Redstone. The arsenal was back in business, and the city once again began to boom. That's, that's a pun. In terms of city size and infrastructure outside of the arsenal, the impact of the space race made much of Huntsville unrecognizable from its appearance in the mid-1950s to 1972, the year of the date of the final moon landing. In the 1950 census, the population of Huntsville was a bit over 16,000. By 1960, this grew to 72,000, an increase of 340%. In 1970, the population had grown to about 139,000. For every one person in Huntsville in 1950, there were about eight and a half people in 1970. I think in terms of things many of us see every day but maybe don't think about in this context, the most telling sign of how Huntsville has grown is I-565. The interstate system came about through a series of laws called the Federal Aid Highway Acts. The first one of these was in 1952, and that authorized a relatively small amount of funding for what's now the interstate. And by relatively small, I mean $25 million a year, which, let's be honest, isn't a whole lot if you're trying to build a bunch of roads connecting the entire country. But there wasn't a clear plan for how to do this or how to properly fund it until four years later. That's when President Eisenhower signed the Federal Aid Highway Act of 1956, hence the full name of the road system actually being the Dwight D. Eisenhower National System of Interstate and Defense Highways. Also, as an aside, I just want to address the myth regarding interstate design. There's a little fun fact that pops up every now and then online and in conversations where people claim that a certain amount of mileage of the interstate is required to be straight so that planes can land on it in emergencies, and that's just not true. Like, no, where is that listed in any of the official specifications? And the Federal Highway Administration's official historian, Richard Weingroff, actually has written articles about how tired he is of people claiming that. So, um, stop saying that. Anyhow, about I-565 in Huntsville. At the time of the interstate's initial planning and construction, Huntsville wasn't considered big enough to be worthy of having the interstate run through it. Look at Nashville, Birmingham, Montgomery, Atlanta, and you'll usually see that the interstate will go pretty close to their downtowns. Meanwhile, I-565 is an interstate spur, and Huntsville's downtown exit is 19B, so that's almost 20 miles from the interstate. Boo-hoo, a 20-mile drive, but this is telling to me in terms of perspective and Huntsville size in comparison to other southeastern cities at the time, so I figured it was worth mentioning. Another way in which we can still see the effects of the space race is in our historic districts. I mentioned in the show intro that I have a hard time remembering that the 50s and 60s are considered historic nowadays, but the National Park Service has no such reservations. 
The Edmonton Tights Historic District in North Huntsville was listed on the National Register of Historic Places in June of 2021, with McThornmore Acres, west of downtown, added in February of 2022. There will be an episode coming up with a crash course on the historic districts of Huntsville, including these two, but as an overview, Edmonton Heights is Huntsville's only planned suburb for black citizens. According to the National Register's write-up, quote, it illustrates the effects on the African-American community of post-war growth, urban renewal, and racial discrimination in federal and local housing policy, end quote. The Huntsville Mirror, a black-run newspaper in the city of the time, featured ads for the neighborhood as well as a Home of the Week photo boasting, quote, downtown bus service, beautiful lots with trees, over 200 homes for the latest architectural design, end quote. McThormer Acres is located off of Holmes Avenue near the University of Alabama in Huntsville, which is also a byproduct of the space race. If you're into mid-century homes, it's definitely worth taking a walk or bike ride through these neighborhoods. But what did Huntsville's longtime residents think of the population boom? Right now, in the year of our rocket 2022, the population is estimated to be about 227,000, up about 44,000 since 2012. As much as Huntsville feels like it's growing now, that's still less than the jump of about 67,000 people from 1960 to 1970. Like, I cannot express enough just how much the city grew in a short amount of time and just how much new construction took place in those years. So many split-level houses. In 1970, Madison County Board of Commissioners Chairman James Record stated that the mid-60s, one out of every three telephones in the state of Alabama were in Huntsville and that they had more utility connections than Nashville and Chattanooga combined. I searched through some newspapers from the time to find what other residents back then had to say regarding the changes taking place in Huntsville at the time. For example, the article in which that discussion with James Record was written also included a quote from downtown clothing store owner J.C. Morrison about how the newly added parking meters downtown negatively impacted his business. Quote, people don't want to pay to park out there and they won't walk, end quote, he said. With all the people moving to town, there were new traffic problems and solutions arising. Ezekiel Hughes Jr. shared information about how, quote, the new traffic signals for pedestrians can be a lifesaver, end quote. In his business analysis column in The Mirror in January of 1959, Hughes explains how the new to Huntsville walk and don't walk signs work. I think my favorite source of complaint in terms of parallels today is the traffic at the Arsenal Gates. In April 1963, the Times ran a story about, quote, if the traffic around Huntsville seems worse than most other places, it may be due to the fact that so many Redstone Arsenal employees have two cars in their garages, end quote, and that, quote, for every four employees, there are five cars, end quote. Also, apparently 80% of the Arsenal's parking lots were paved at that time. Not sure how that compares to now. Anyhow, the survey that discovered the number of cars per employees was being used to determine how to better the traffic flow patterns with the various entrance gates to the arsenal. They had just opened gate 1 on Martin Road, which they called the main gate, and said received an equal number of cars to gate 9 on a daily basis. For those of you who've never had the uh, pleasure of rush hour traffic on I-565, gate 9 is now the main gate, and I can confirm lots of people still complain about it. So yeah, a big source of woe and interest for Huntsvillians during the space race was uh, traffic and parking meters. Nothing new under the sun or on the streets, it seems. A cool thing about this growth and influx of rocket scientists that doesn't get mentioned as often as I think it should is that an effect of having all these old rocket scientists in town is that their stuff is popping up in thrift stores and antique stores, as well as left behind in attics and storage sheds. There's a lot of space race memorabilia floating around Huntsville, and I've seen many pins, hats, pens, and other trinkets from the 60s and 70s NASA available for cheap. Pro tip for you thrifters out there. Also, that stuff being left in attics comment wasn't just a random example hypothetical. Some friends of mine purchased a house constructed in the 60s in Huntsville, a bit of south of downtown, and actually found eight boxes of papers, magazines, and rocket program-related photos from a former rocket scientist whose family just didn't want to carry all that stuff around when they moved. 
Only in Huntsville will your friends call you to ask if you'd like writings on nuclear fission from the 1960s and some plans for 70s space stations that were never built. So that's a thing I have in my house now. Between World War II and the space race boom, Huntsville dropped off a little in terms of population and excitement, and the same thing happened again in 1970. There's a quote in Memphis's The Commercial Appeal about the post-moon landing slowdown, saying, quote, Some of the people are preaching doom and gloom, but I don't think it's justified. Most of the people who are talking most are those who remember when they just about closed down Redstone Arsenal right after World War II. End quote. Something, something, history repeats itself. And now I get to talk about the wackiest part of the space race's impact on Huntsville, the tourism, or more specifically, the failed tourist trap. While we're all probably, hopefully, presumably familiar with the U.S. Space and Rocket Center and Space Camp, did you know there was almost a space-themed amusement park planned for Huntsville in the early 60s? It was to be called Space City USA, out near what's now Zert Road between Huntsville and Madison off of the aforementioned I-565. A company called Space Race USA Incorporated popped up, Hired a lot of planners for an amusement park, got some hype going, sold stocks, and then everything fell apart. The plans for the theme park were announced in January of 1964, and the excitement around the project was huge. From what the public was seeing at first, it looked like things were progressing well. Robert Cox, the public relations director for Space City USA, traveled around giving talks about how great the park would be and how Skylim, the company in charge of design and construction, was following in the footsteps of Disneyland. In 1964, there were auditions for, quote, talent to be used during the summer months, end quote, at the park. There were CBS and NBC talent scouts judging the auditions, and supposedly they were offering recording contracts and TV appearances to the best acts. If this had worked out, it would have been quite the attraction. At one of Skylim's PR talks, Cox boasted that, quote, the atmosphere will be one of cleanliness and educational stimulation through display and amusement facilities, end quote. There's also intended to be an extended tourist area around the park with motels, campsites, and other commercial developments to cater to the tourist. I found a map of the proposed park layout on We Are Huntsville's website. I recommend going and checking that out if you like 1960s ads and art. For now though, let me read some of the promo of Space City USA as it appeared in the papers in 1964. Quote, when the park is completed, according to the proposed schedule in 1965, it will consist of 10 major amusement sections. To enumerate these for you, plans call for a space plaza, which will be the entrance of our park in the center of which will be located the Pool of Fire and the Fountain of Infinity. The circular walkways will house shops, exhibits, and the administration facilities for the park. Another area will be known as the Time Circle. From this section of the park, a person may, by entering a device which we chose to call a time machine, through the effect of light, sound, and motion, be given the psychological impression that he is being transported into another time dispensation. He will be able to enter the Lost World section, dedicated to the prehistoric concepts, and the Old South, depicting the antebellum period prior to the Civil War. He will be able to travel on an authentic 1870 narrow-gauge railroad train. The visitor will also be able to ride a paddlewheel steamer and board a three-masted sailing ship. It is also contemplated that another area of the park will be Dead Man's Island, authentic with its treehouse, pirate's cove, and a genuine pirate's atmosphere. In another section of the park is planned replicas of early forms of travel will be on exhibition, ranging from man's attempt to fly to the earliest forms of velocipedes. Another area of the park is Moon City. In this area of Space City USA theme park will be the hub of man's futuristic concepts pertaining to every phase of life as he might expect to find it should we actually land on the moon or other celestial bodies. This will be a focal point for education of the visitor on all matters pertaining to space and interplanetary travel. Located in the Black Forest will be an area called the Land of Oz. This section of the park will be designed to delight and enchant youngsters of all ages." End quote. So that time machine sounds trippy. 
For some additional perspective on what the 60s were like, that last article literally appeared on the newspaper page next to a photo of a chimpanzee in a dress smoking a cigarette. I'm not kidding. That article also claims the park will, quote, attract more than one million to North Alabama each year, end quote. To get an idea of how big the claim that is, the Space and Rocket Center hit one million visitors in a year for the first time in 2019. So Space City USA got permission to sell stocks, two million shares actually, at a maximum of $2.50 each. In September of 1964, Skylin was claiming that the opening date would be in July of 1965, after spending approximately $5 million in construction. They had barely anything built and no rides completed from what I can find, but were telling people the park would be ready in 10 months. A 2012 Huntsville Times article talks a little bit about what may have caused the downfall of the Space City plans, including poor money management and bad weather preventing construction. One interviewee claimed they didn't recall anything underhanded going on with the project's failure, while another said, quote, My impression is that there were some shady dealings going on, end quote. I obviously wasn't there at the time, but a lot of the sentiments I've read online from people claiming they or their parents invested is that this is a sore subject and many feel they were scammed. Once things started to fall apart for the park, though, there was no coming back from it. In October of 1967, some of the property and future ride components from Space City USA were put up for auction. This included the aforementioned train with five cars, a mile of track for said train, a 60-horse carousel, the Crooked House from the Oz-themed part of the park, and some Old South-themed buildings, according to a Selma newspaper at the time. I don't know what these all sold for, or if they even did all sell, because that 2012 article I just mentioned cites Tori Reynolds, a former school board member, saying her husband was one of the early investors and that she now has one of those carousel horses in her garage. If you're one of the people who has a Space City USA carousel horse and wants to sell it, uh, hit me up. While Space City USA never became a reality, you can still see the effect of the space race in the names of places around town, including many modern venues with vague space-related names like the Orion Amphitheater or Mars Music Hall. And if you're in need of a space-themed tourist attraction that actually worked out, may I recommend the Space Center? Something I really like about Huntsville is how it's such a blend of art and history with all of your traditional STEM, science, tech, engineering, and math professions. Growing up, I never realized how special this was or how cool it was to live in a themed town. Like, did you know most towns don't have an overarching theme like we do with space? And rocket scientists or not, you're living in a pretty historic place. Thanks for listening today. If you'd like to see more info on today's tangentially related to the space race topics, I'll have some links posted on the show website, as well as the episode transcript with sources cited. That'll be on lilyflagpodcast.wordpress.com. Two G's in flag. I've also been posting nearly every day on the show's Instagram page, Lily Flag Podcast, with photos of various space race relics and locations. That's L-I-L-Y-F-L-A-G-G podcast, two G's in flag. So look out for gate nine traffic, cite your sources, and I'll talk to you next week.